Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, too. So my first guest this morning was Nikki Sharma. Nikki Sharma, The Attorney General and her letter to the feds saying, like, let's go on this 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 uh, criminal code Quite reform. the letter. Very strongly worded letter. Again, um, sent in the wake of the meeting with virtual meeting of the premiers of the Canadian Association of Police uh, Chiefs of Police, uh, demanding that there be legislation amended to correct the fallout from Bill C-75 a number of years ago, and calling for a reverse onus on, uh, particularly for chronic repeat violent offenders. Yeah, and Bill C seventy five. And she's not alone, by the way. I mean, these well, yeah. these are all provinces are on the same page here. Right, all provinces are looking for the. And the, the shocking part of this letter, and we discussed this this morning, was the where in cases where the crown, so where the prosecution has asked for an incarceration order because they're the person is a risk to public safety. And she said these are typically weapons offenses. Knives, guns, mm-hmm. bear spray. The Crown asks for the person to be kept locked up. In more than half the cases, the judge is overruling that and letting the person out anyway. Yeah, Even so- though the Crown has said this person's a risk to public safety, they let him out anyway. So there's two things. So there's a 2017 ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada that said that Section 11 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which guarantees people the right to not be denied bail, uh, was um, sacrosanct. It was it was a, a, a example of uh, respecting that meant that we had a, um, a a robust criminal justice system, an enlightened. In fact, their word was enlightened criminal justice system. But I think anyone right now would be hard pressed to use the word enlightened when it comes to the criminal justice system. When it comes to bail for repeat chronic violent offenders, and then you had Bill C seventy five which uh, brought in the the principle of restraint when it came to bail uh, situations. So you put those two together, and judges are looking at those two things, and that's why I think a lot of people are getting released from bail. So Nikki Sharma and others, other premiers and other justice ministers, attorney generals, are looking for this to be corrected through legislation. The thing that people are finding so frustrating is that even in Bill 75, which you said, Bill C-75, that's favored, it favors release at the earliest opportunity is mm-hmm. favored. That's what it says in yeah. the actual bill. And then you take a look at some of these Supreme Court rulings. And one of the significant ones is a Supreme Court ruling 2015. In Canadian law, the release of accused persons is the cardinal rule and detention is the exception. Yeah. Okay. So, but despite that though, there are still public safety safeguards that are supposed to be in place. Like if the person is a risk to public safety, they're supposed to be kept locked up. So that's what the crown's been arguing. These yeah. people are the risk of, of uh, threatening public safety. Judges aren't viewing it that way. So it's interesting in BC. Less than half the requests of the crown, which again came out on Friday, the stat, which was like, "Whoa, where did this? Like we never heard that before." So Nikki Sherman, I'm sure she told you, she's going to release more data. Yes, uh, this week about other um, what's going on in the criminal justice system when it comes to uh, release on bail. 
Yeah, we're going to get more on this we this are. week. I asked, like, and it's I asked not going to be good news. Yeah, I said, well, how many cases are we talking about here? How many of these violent well, threats it, to the public have been released? And she said, well, it's coming out later. So in her letter uh, to uh, Lamati, the federal justice minister, she said the preliminary data covers the period from mid-November to mid-December last year and mid-February to mid-March of this year. So it's about roughly, not quite eight, about six to seven weeks worth of cases, which it'll be interesting whether that um, is going to be um, the exception or whether that's just basically what we're seeing on a month-to-month basis. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing those statistics for sure. Let's talk about the federal public service strike here, dragging on, uh, escalating it appears. Here's the union leader, Chris Aylward, president of the Public Servants Alliance of Canada. Have a listen to what he says here. This is a complete demonstration of the incompetence of this minister in this position to allow these negotiations to drag out this long. And it's not the union. It is the employer dragging out these negotiations. And again, it's through the incompetence of the president of Treasury Board. Okay, that doesn't doesn't sound like a guy who's uh, close to a deal. Elward's uh, like old school here in terms uh, of union leadership. Uh, but what's interesting, you've got both sides continue to talk. Yeah, as far as we knew uh, an hour ago, yet both sides are in the media bashing each other over the head. Yeah, and you don't see that in labor. I mean, I've covered you know I've covered tons of labor negotiations. Usually, there's a news blackout. Right. Or there's more sort of restrained rhetoric, but here you got both sides going at each other's throats, even though they're at the table. But it's interesting, so Peace Act, the Public Sector um, Alliance, is going to escalate the strike in terms of more uh, picket sites. But there's still a huge, like almost one-third of their membership is still working because of essential service levels which are very high. Let's listen to the other side here. Now, this is Mona Fortier, the president of the Treasury Board of Canada. So this is effectively the lead negotiator for the government in the strike. Have a listen to what she says here. We've been at the table for three weeks. There have been up and down. There's been kicking and screaming. But the important thing right now is that we are focused and we have a deal that is good for public servants, a fair one, and that is reasonable for Canadians. Okay, well, the union doesn't see it as a fair deal. Well, they're not super far apart on wages. I mean, the union's looking for 13.5%, which is actually less than what BC public sector unions are getting. They're getting about 14%. But the, the Over how many years? Three years. Three years, yeah. But it's interesting, that the Canada Revenue Agency component, which is more than 20,000 employees, they're looking for 22, uh, actually, I think it's 35,000 employees, 22% okay. over three years, which is ex- significantly more than any pu- uh, private or public sector uh, settlement right across the country. So uh, that one seems to be a sticking point. The other sticking point is they're looking for contract language on allowing them to work from home. Right which is a big thing for the employer. So that's that's aside from wages. I don't think the gap is huge on wages, 9% versus 13.5%. It's not a huge gap. But when you factor in the Canada Revenue Agency, which wants 22%, that's a big gap. And then you got the work-from-home provision, which is, from an employer's point of view, is an entire matter altogether. What do you think of the shakeup in the American media landscape yeah. this morning here? Tucker Carlson uh, fired by Fox News. Never saw that coming. He's got huge ratings. He's not the first Fox News personality to get dumped, though, because of uh, because of controversy. So he had high ratings, but this this these lawsuits Fox is, is uh, facing not just Dominion, but for basically 
branding all the election callers liars um, because of the so-called fake election is catching up with them, and Tucker Carlson's paying a huge price. Yeah, of course. Not that he's going away without any money. He's going to get a huge... He was already making millions of dollars oh, yeah. a year. I mean, the interesting thing is, no like, tears for Tucker Carlson. His his ratings were huge. Like they he were. had the number one show in, in this in the U.S. and they fired him anyway. So this follows the Fox settlement with Dominion voting machines, where but they paid out what seven hundred eighty seven yeah. million U.S. We're talking like a billion dollars Canadian, and they got more. And losses. it's not the only one. Yeah, no. there's another voting machine company and also suing them. Carlson had some incriminating emails and voice messages where he's basically um, siding with those who were viewing the election call as fraudulent, uh, as as basically wrong. I mean, he was calling out Trump, yeah. and Fox News doesn't like that. Let's go right to your phone calls. Mark in Nanaimo. Hi, Mark. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to say on these strikers that want to work from home, why, why they're getting paid to be at home and the offices sit empty and it's us taxpayers that have to pay for these empty offices. I think it's time for them to get back to work. Well, the issue is uh, even when they sign a new contract, should they have the right to work from home? So the VC government is allowing a huge number of uh, public sector employees to work from home. Was that a union demand, though, or that was just government policy? I think it was both. If okay. I recall, it was just announced by um, the head of the uh, public sector, uh, public service, some months ago that you could work from home with with a few exceptions. But it, it, caller Mark raises a good question: What about government offices? Well, yeah. What happens? So we were right across the street from the Douglas Building over yeah. here for the pandemic. This thing's been back almost empty. You know, there's hundreds of of employees normally work in that building. It's a historic Art Deco building right across the street from the ledge, but. At the height of the pandemic, there was hardly anybody in there for obvious reasons. People were yeah. working from what Even now, my understanding is there's very few people actually in the office. People continue to work from home in the B.C. public sector, which, you know, if it's working, could it not happen in the federal uh, system as well? But it does beg the question, what do you do with all these government buildings? Yeah, and especially, well, too, it's the employer's right to tell you to get your butt back in the office if that's the condition of your employment. If it's a condition of employment. Right. So the Public Sector Alliance is trying to make it not a, a condition yeah. of your employment. And it's seven, you know, all sorts of workplaces are struggling with this issue. Yeah. Not just the public sector, private sector workplaces as well. Yeah. Uh, other than, you know, if, if you work in a mill, you have to go to the mill. Obviously, that's where the equipment is. But if you're just basically pushing paper around... Does it matter if you're in an office or if you're at home? Yeah. You're basically working with a computer. And that's what the vast majority of the public sector, uh, 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 the public alliance, is basically right now. It's it's processing documents, passports, uh, citizenship services, uh, all sorts of other paper computer-type programs. Yeah. And can you do that from home? And that's what the union is arguing for. Alan in Vancouver. Hi, Alan. Go ahead. Hi, you doing? Yes, uh, I want to talk about the justice system. I just want to know, are justices out of contact with the people? Are they, are they out of contact with the people? They have, I mean, people have a say in how laws should be made. Or are they like, like cooks? They follow a <laughs> recipe laid out by the federal government, and then they add a few little secret ingredients to themselves. Or they okay. don't add. That's okay. my idea. Well, Thank you. Yeah, they are following federal government 
federal laws and criminal code, but they're also following Supreme Court just Supreme Court rulings, which they base a lot of their, their decisions on as well. So it's a twinfold, twofold thing: Supreme Court rulings and amendments to the criminal code made in 2019. And that's what the premiers and the and the attorney generals of the, across the land are looking for: is changes to the criminal code to change the bail situation right across the country. It's not just what's happening in Metro Vancouver, Calgary, Manitoba, Edmonton, Toronto, all are reporting the same problem. Yeah, and Bill C-75 is the one that the people are pointing the fingers at, and I don't know what the holdup is in in changing this. Now, these, the, the, minister, the Attorney General told me this morning that the feds have promised to change this in the spring session of Parliament. Okay, so... Well, ways away. It's a year away. It, it's coming. So, we'll, so between now and a year from now, you're you mean see- so you think this is not happening until next year? Then, well, I mean, it depends how they define the spring. If it's this spring, great. If it's next yeah. spring, but we've seen before the wheels of justice turn very slowly. Steve in Vancouver. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. Hey guys, thanks for having me all. Boy, lots to talk about this morning. Yeah. So I'm going to change it up a bit. I'm going. To, I just spent six months in the U.S. And let's talk about Fox News, where the F stands for fear, mm-hmm. and Tucker Carlson. So if you're a professional journalist, and you guys, because you both are, and if you don't read the news, that is the truth, does that just not make you an actor? Well, we were just, dis- thank you for the call, we were just discussing off here the Tucker Carlson situation, and this Dominion lawsuit, when, when that was settled, it almost looked like, the terms of the deal were almost crafted to protect this guy in and, order to continue his doing his show because he wasn't, he wasn't required to testify. They were not required to issue an attraction or apology. So it looked like, okay, they're going to pay out $787 million and keep doing what they're well, doing. Well, some of the stuff that surfaced in the discovery part of this, of this case where uh, Dominion was given access to emails and messages of Fox News showed that Tucker Carlson behind the scenes was questioning why were they giving airtime to these election deniers? He thought the whole thing was ridiculous, even though he was on the air doing exactly that. Even though that. his show was doing exactly. That. So he so, was saying, "Why are we doing this behind yeah. the scenes?" So I think his credibility was shot, anyways. I mean, yeah. Fox News caters to a very small but significant portion of the population there. I mean, they elected Donald Trump. Well, I wonder if there were fears that there was continuing jeopardy that they had they yeah. had settled this case, but there were more cases coming. And there are more cases yeah. coming. Yeah. So I think this is sort of uh, try to limit the damage. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Morning, guys. Hi. Morning, guys. Um, it, on the on the PSAC, uh strike, uh, I think that the PSAC is losing the PR battle and losing it pretty badly. I mean, no one that I know is interested in listening to their demands. I mean, the wages thing, like you guys have mentioned, everybody's kind of, well, yeah, whatever. But it's everything else that they're looking at that is, has got people going, no, this is ridiculous. But an example of how, they can lo- how they're losing the PR battle is what's happening in Ontario at CFP Petawala. You've got 700-plus military people on that base that now have no heat or hot water because the PSAC members have walked off and left the boilers sitting cold. So, oh, that does, yeah, that's, I just yeah. thought of that in the National Post. Not good. So there's a lot of things they're doing that are hurting themselves. I think some of the inflammatory statements that people are making, the over-the-top statements that people are making when they do little news hits and things like that, aren't helping their case at all. 
Um, okay. You know, and, and that's the way I see it anyways. Thank you for the call. Thanks. Well, I think it's always a challenge for public sector unions to win a PR battle because they provide public services, and when they withdraw them, withdraw them, they hurt the public. Well, so, yeah. so right from the get-go, a, a, a public sector union has a challenge winning popularity. It's very hard to do. And and then you couple this with Chris Aylward's, like I say, over-the-top rhetoric, <laughs> old-style union leader. I'm not sure that goes over well with people.